0: This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's News, Today's Talk. 640 Toronto. Yesterday was the five-year anniversary of the Yonge Street tragedy. I think that's a time when it's very much a, I remember where I was, I remember when I first heard it, I remember how I felt inside, because you can hear things, you can go, oh, that day's important to you, fantastic. You know, it could be a birthday, an anniversary, or a sports team winning or you you know it's your it's your you know it's your wedding it like yeah anything like that but i think all of toronto shares in what is deemed the young street tragedy where 11 beautiful people it ended up being 11 and 15 11 people's lives were taken and 15 were injured tremendous pain difficult to heal from and uh, and yet i think the city sort of enveloped and encircled while feeling a little more tense I think that's obvious. Uh, feeling a little more suspicious, fe- looking over our shoulders a little bit more when uh, we're walking down streets and when we're crossing intersections. I think we're a little, we got a little more conscious. Does that fade over time? I, I don't know. It's difficult to say because we only had, you know, a year and a half of practice before we all sort of went in sealer and the pandemic happened. And, we stopped congregating and we stopped sort of those those big crowds were, were not existent for so long. So then it takes time again to get used to it all uh, coming back. Nick D'Amico lost his sister. This is one of the most prominent um, people to come out and, and be able to talk about it on a regular basis. And Nick D'Amico said exactly probably how we'd all feel and how we all th- think all feel about the normal tragedies that uh, that happened to us, um, difficulty in relationships or losing a parent. Nick D'Amico said this yesterday at the five-year anniversary.
1: This brings us back to the day that it happened, and this day specifically, you kind of recount what's going on, what happened at this time. So you're always trying to work through it, and you have just what we still have dips, we still have moments, and we still have days, and we still have times where we're struggling with it.
0: I can only imagine because your life cycle is supposed to be well. You know, eventually our parents will age. We'll lose parents. We'll lose great. We lose grandparents before that. You know that early on when you lose a grandparent. Um, my my boys lost their first grandparent, and I lost my first of four uh, parents or parent in laws last summer. Like it. There's nothing quite like it. I was thinking, listening about the tragedy today, how that'll feel a year out. Like You feel it every day and probably every every time of year like that. Lily Cheng is a city councillor. That's her area, uh, as she described it, Willowdale. And she talks about how the community has been at least able to grieve and mourn and bond over this.
2: We are a neighborhood that loves our neighbors. We love Willowdale. Let those words be marked on our hearts and let us move forward with resilience and hope for a better future for all.
0: Okay, Lily's going to join us around 8:30. There's a lot of city stuff to get to with her, but um but I'm eager to have her on. And again, I I think it's it's hopefully doesn't cross the mind of the victims' families yesterday and the injured that showed up um but the idea that there's going to be again, it's Canada, there's going to be a parole hearing for this this person. 24 years from now um a lot of our lives will be different 24 years from now but it should never ever happen you shouldn't have to wake up in the morning and go what's the case here what's the question how will he claim and how will his lawyers claim he's rehabilitated will somebody on a parole board take empathy on him and see him as different and uh and i saw a couple things over the weekend about i don't know how much air to give it um incel threat growing expert says well there'll be an expert to say anything and again i look at it and i go I, i i can't figure out what it has to do with me i can't figure out why i never feel like people should feel bad because of who they are and where they come from for something somebody else did if you don't support it and it makes you sick to even think about that's enough that's enough but um, but I know there's talk about it. So to pretend there isn't talk about it is a silly thing to do. Little more on it as the morning continues. And yeah, Lily Cheng will join us around eight thirty uh, this morning. Sheba Siddiqui joins me right now. Is is the Van attack a, a where were you moment? Do you remember?
2: Abs. The I was day and uh, five I was years ago. Here. I was. I believe I was here. Um, it, it had just happened, and it was a. Uh, I was in shock. Yeah. To be honest with you, I think the entire city was in shock. I think we all sort of froze. And uh, I, I didn't take it. I, I thought this must be a misunderstanding. It must be somebody with a health condition, right? That was my first. I think that was everybody's first. Like thought. a heart attack. Yeah, exactly. Right. Somebody must have had a heart attack, right. and this that is what happened early on. Yeah. And then when it all came out, it was it was absolutely terrifying.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is Toronto today with Greg Brady. Toronto's
2: news. Today's talk.
0: Six forty Toronto. And I want to have a conversation with you. I want it to be you, me, and talking about. I think the environment. And climate change. And here's where I want to go. This is a very simple question. So let me open it up. I'll, I'll give you a little insight into my thoughts on this. But I want to know if you are more worried or less worried about the climate and climate change than five years ago. Are you more worried or less worried? And I think the sub question to this Are you more or less convinced you and your household and community can change climate change? Let me make a few things quite patently obvious here. Climate change is real. Climate change is absolutely real. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Um, We should probably use less fossil fuels than we did 30 years ago, and we do. And we should also try to use less fossil fuels 30 years from now than we use right now. But it isn't going to be easy. Transitioning to some, I I watched the announcement in St. Thomas on uh, Friday about electric vehicles and electric batteries and electric cars. And it's going to take a huge push, huge push of raw materials, land, tech, to make sure that we have more of a renewable energy economy and that we use fewer fossil fuels. Fossil fuels, to be honest, are, are right now cheap, cheap. They are, they're convenient to get. And right now we're not running out of them. So um, it's they're more energy dense than wind power. I drive where I go in the summer to, uh, to go away for a week with family. I go past all these windmills and I think that they're good and I don't buy the notion that they're killing birds. But anyway, I, I look and I go, it, it it takes a lot to make them operate. Water power is really tricky. My point being here, I think that we are too concerned about our own impact. And we need to demand more of our governments. And we actually need to demand more of technology. Okay? So I think every absolutely... We're kind of spiraling into what could be a chaotic next hundred years. But many times, climate alarmists have been wrong about what will end up happening. Can you imagine somebody telling you something's going to happen and then they're wrong? (laughs) That would never, in the last three years, have you, exactly, exactly. So I'm not going, I don't play the game with people who roll their eyes at climate change. I don't roll their eyes at people who see floods and tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis and think, well, they've always been around. What's the big deal? Or, you know, that uh, dumb cough that's it's minus 20 and, and a bunch of snow landed on us. He's like, yeah, it looks like there's a lot of climate. That's weather. There's weather and then there's climate. But here's what I've observed in my lifetime. And, and we've been, what, recycling since about 1988. We've tried to conserve energy that and, and do things a little bit differently. Solar panels are, are good ideas, okay? I think having one electric car in your driveway might be a really good idea. It absolutely might be, maybe two. But what I see is a world that is not going to be able to get on the same page on this. It's going to take technology. It's going to take tech to get 8 billion people through this. I think, if the again, the last three years have proven 8 billion people... Ain't getting on the same page for the same things. They're not, hey, everybody, let's just try really hard at this with 8 billion people. And you've heard um, you saw if you saw that great video of Constantine Kissen, the uh, political commentator and comedian, denote you can't get poor people to care about climate change. You cannot. It. It's a well-off person's concern. Before I get to the phones, these stats are alarming also. These polls. of Canadians aged 16 to 25 said climate change impacts their overall mental health. Kids, kids, kids. Four in ten say it might make them hesitant about having children. You've got climate activists who say we shouldn't even have pets. Carbon footprint. Get rid of your dogs and cats. Again, these are people who absolutely are unhinged and living on planet delusional. They really are. Ask a poor person if the ozone layer or climate change is their biggest concern. It isn't. It's feeding themselves and clothing themselves and having somewhere to go to the bathroom, et cetera, et cetera. Right now, this is a rich person's problem. And I'm not denying that it's a problem. It is a problem. It's every problem we think it is. But only technology and spending billions of dollars gets us to where we need to get to on this. Not everybody uh, separating their uh, their cans and bottles in blue bins. That um, We should still keep doing that. Let's get to the phones. Brian, you kick us off. You're on 640 Toronto. Okay, answer me that question. More concerned or less concerned than five years ago?
3: Less concerned.
0: Okay. Why is that?
3: Well, everything that we're talking about is headed toward an illogical endgame. What we're doing is pursuing things that don't make any practical sense whatsoever.
0: Well, I think using fewer fossil fuels does make sense. I think climate change is going to cause lots of problems for growing food. Uh, It's going to flood people out of homes. It'll make resources more scarce. But I don't think there's anything me and you, Brian, can do about it specifically. I don't. I totally agree. Okay. Thanks for the phone call. We're having a great chat there. Sean, uh, you're on 640 Toronto in Toronto today. Sean, you go right ahead.
4: Yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, I'm not concerned at all. I think that climate change is something that's been happening on this planet for millions of years since it's been spinning, really. And uh, burning of fossil fuels, I would agree that it has um, it, it has uh, uh, made made the, the, the uh, oxygen a little bit not oxygen, excuse me, the, the air a little dirtier, yeah. and we're using uh, uh, way way too many too many uh, re- uh, resources and we but the narrative i feel that like the narrative has to change the planet doesn't need saving we need saving the planet's just going to keep on spinning there's nothing that we can do that will harm this planet because the planet is a self-correcting system so even if even if you if you no matter how many fossil fuels there are remember that there are still super volcanoes that were erupt every year all over all over around yeah. this planet what we need to do is, come like you said, uh, is use technology and start looking for the solutions because the solutions are there. The other point I want to make, too, is like you're very correct about uh, not being able to convince uh, the poorer parts of the world like, because of, of climate change. Because honestly, it's not their main concern. Their main concern is food, shelter and, and just surviving.
0: Uh, let's get to Mike. Let's start here. Mike, thanks for the phone call. You go right ahead. Thanks, Greg.
3: I really do like the way that you pose questions. I think that you do show the complete picture. Sometimes I wish there was somebody there who could call you out on it. Um, when you say something like you wish that there was an EV in everyone's driveway. But <laughs> I,
0: I, I can do. see the potential w- for the need for it. Let's put it that way. I'm, it's not a policy. I'm not running for anything yet.
3: <laughs> but but then you followed it up with the point about our actual emissions comp- compared to the global scale, so I would I would question you on that, but um, I, I definitely am not concerned as, or, or I'm less concerned uh, in the last five years. I think it's, it's climate change fatigue we all have right now, and we're not getting the complete picture, but you used uh, one of the words that I was going to use, goods and services. When we talk about the conversation going to EVs always, well, to manufacture everything you see from the asphalt on the road to the plane in the sky comes from fossil fuels not one thing that we have in our life isn't from fossil fuels that's the question right how do we survive how do we evolve and you use the term technology and that's great but how do we use the technology or, or utilize it without fossil fuels the windmills They are constructed of fossil fuels, right? The hydro power plants, that entire power plant at Niagara falls was built because of fossil fuels. I, the conversation.
0: And they require more raw materials by a long shot, like aluminum, iron, um, cement, copper. They require way more raw materials to do wind and solar than, than the black stuff that comes out of the ground. It's just true. It's true. And
3: and there's, and, and when people think that I'm looking at a couple of guardrails right now, if people think that that steel isn't related to fossil fuels because it's a raw material, they, they are not understanding the problem. They, they do not get it. If they think that LED lights are better than old halogen lights, that's great. But
0: to build that LED light, you need fossil fuels. You need fossil just fuels. That's the way it is. Yeah. And, and, and there, listen, there's been th- thanks for the intelligent phone call. There have been things we've done. Getting off of coal is good. That's better for people's health. But we're asking people, remember, we want people out of coal mines, right? Coal mines, that, that seems like a, a really hard job. That seems like a, a difficult job on, uh, on your on your body and obviously what you could inhale in a coal mine. And we're asking people now, if we, need, if we get all these electric uh, battery vehicles that we want, we're asking people to go back into mines. Where are they going to do that? Not in rich countries. And rich people aren't going to go into those mines either. So again, there's I'll go back to Sting in the Rainforest. There's a little bit of a hypocrisy here. The Prime Minister, I get it. He's supposed to go to New York, right, for um for like a like a global citizen thing, and uh, and he's gonna fly in his private plane. And I get that he can't sit in seat 9E on uh on on Air Canada or Sunwing, but I also like he can't take Via. He can't take. There's no pri. Of course he can't. That's their argument. But then it's private jet here, private jet there. He flew from Toronto to Kitchener. I can't get over that, that he flew from Toronto to Kitchener. <sighs> Don, thanks for the phone call. You go right ahead. Appreciate the call. Hey, no worries, Greg. Thanks
4: uh, for taking the call. Sure. Um, you know what? It is, it's is—it's all about the hypocrisy, uh, and you're touching on it now and your previous caller as well. Uh, York Region Transit made a big splash about using electric buses. I have it on good authority. They're fueled by twenty-four-seven diesel generators charging <laughs> the buses.
0: Isn't that amazing? You
4: know, it's it's unbelievable. And you know, you talk about people, the politicians saying all transit, transit, transit. How about somebody mandates that our city staff, councilors, mayor must travel by TTC for work-related business? Let's see how fast the TTC improves if that were the case. Yeah. And if it's not good enough for them. Why is it good enough
0: for us? Yeah, you nailed it. And, and there, uh, again, there are so many, you know, you could get a shot of Leonardo DiCaprio and and he's got a private jet and Taylor Swift has a private jet. I mean, look, Bill Maher made the point two months ago and where's the lie? If you could afford a private jet, why would you not fly in a private jet? You want to strap yourself in uh, and and, f- and fight for uh, the middle seat and the armrest with uh, with Bubba over there? You don't. You, you don't, okay? But, but... That's the problem, is we're asking all these people to, um, you know, for advice and whatnot, and they won't make a sacrifice on their own. Look, this is going to get done by technology, not by all of us just saying, let's all do the right thing together. It ain't going to happen. I've made it a, a priority in our household to not stress my kids out about, it's the last thing I would talk about. I can't believe those numbers where we're talking, Climate change, age 16 to 25, impacts kids' overall mental health. That your daily life is negatively impacted, like daily. Daily, not just a passing thought. Oh, I hope I, I hope my grandkids can have grandkids. Four in 10, 16 to 25-year-olds now might not have kids because of climate change? What on earth are we talking about? What are we doing? That you're so distressed that you think it's the be-all and end-all. It's not. And by the way, threat threats to health. Um, don't smoke. Don't do drugs. Don't overeat. Get exercise. Eat better food. Those are things that will make us all live longer. You'll drive your like you'll get hypertension and blood pressure from thinking about the climate uh, issues every day. Thanks for all the phone calls on that. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady, Toronto's news today's talk six forty Toronto. Uh, our next guest is the Liberal MP for Beaches East York and uh, currently. Getting some valuable time in uh, northern Ontario as he continues to explore the Ontario Liberal leadership. Um, he'll be in Timmins tomorrow night. Th- this is go- great, Nate Erskine-Smith, our guest. Hey, listen, if any of our listeners ever get lost in northern Ontario, no matter how this politics thing works out for you, you're going to be the person that they call if they're in Dryden or Wawa or places like that. You, you'll you'll have some expert advice as to left and right turns,
1: left and right turns and, and where not to speed. I got I got a ticket in Espanola <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm not sure i we might lead with that at eight o'clock but okay um you're being you're being honest and forthcoming and that's what we want from our politicians i was going that fast i was going 124 uh that's not, it wasn't so bad and i'm sure you thank the uh the officer for uh for t- for getting you getting your speeding under control and and thanking him or her for for their service as well i'm sure it was a, a cordial exchange
3: Oh uh, yeah, yeah she she was lovely
0: okay good um, so yeah, you're, uh, you're Timmins night. Give us a sense. Cause we're very, sometimes in Toronto, we're a little too insular. We don't look outside our own community, we love it so much. Um, the Northern Ontario voter, what are the kind of things you hear from people in Northern Ontario, uh, about the government they want, about the province they want and how they fit in
1: on the, on the one hand, it's interesting because common concerns do come up. They just come up more acutely. So access to a family doctor, It's a challenge, whether it's in Windsor, whether it's in Toronto, but it's a special challenge in Northern Ontario. The mental health and addictions, the opioid crisis. When I speak to the Mayor of Tins or I speak to the Mayor of the Sioux, it comes up all of the time. And again, it's acutely affecting Northern Ontario, the opioid crisis. Uh, Affordable housing. When I was in North Bay, students having a really hard time renting and finding an affordable place to stay as they study, but also just your average middle-class homeowner or, 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 or wannabe homeowner looking at prices that have doubled in North Bay. And, and that's a real challenge. And so people are leaving their communities and, and, and not coming back. And so the same challenges in some ways just felt more acutely, that that's issue specific, but more broadly, Gray, it's a real frustration about being paid attention to and ensuring that a Northern voice is included because there are special challenges around accessibility, the distance of travel from one place to another, there are special challenges in healthcare. There's special challenges across the board. And there's a real feeling that they aren't paid attention to at Queens Park. They're not paid attention to, In Ottawa and that that northern voice isn't included.
0: It strikes me it's such a different conversation Nate isn't it for for transportation and and their public transit whether it's a Sudbury a Timmins or a North Bay it it has to function it has to be efficient but you know and I know there's huge pockets of land where where people just they have to drive they live you know on a gravel road they live 15 minutes outside even these smaller cities and and car travel just ends up being essential for them.
1: Half the drive and then the issue of highway service Mm -hmm. is incredibly important. So I heard from many people, including people I was actively meeting with and other people that just came up to me on the street, about the expansion of Highway 69. I heard in Kenora, for example, and, and specifically in Sioux Lookout, the challenges of when their one highway goes down, that's it. Their economy depends upon access to that one highway. And so it's a real special challenge on transportation, and especially when you talk about healthcare and, and access to care, and, and access to whether it's specialists, whether it's surgeries, access to just a family doctor. But but travel is different in northern Ontario than it is, than it is in other parts of the
0: province. I think you nailed it. And and we dial if we had to dial nine one one for someone in our own household or a neighbor, we'd be looking at our our watch, thinking. Hey, it's been 6 or 7 minutes. That's it's a totally different story out there in terms of response time and in terms of hospital capacity. Again, we we got to look outside our own lens sometimes and and see what those struggles would be like for people living living in, in more remote communities.
1: Exactly. And it goes all the way to issues one would never think of unless one goes visits and and, and learns from and listens to the local community. So, in Española, hearing from someone about the fact that training Firefighters there is its own special challenge because now they're having to travel a much greater distance to get to to, to get to the training facility, and so again transportation matters, but but it matters in so many different contexts.
0: erskine Smith is our guest, Liberal MP for Beaches East York. Um, the the issues with Metrolinx I find fascinating because um, there's not a lot of transparency. Former Mayor David Miller made the point, look, everything about the TTC is is an open book. Uh, what the TTC chair makes, what projects we're working on, how far, how much we're spending on infrastructure. Metrolinx feels a little bit different. I mean, you're considering running for the Ontario Liberal leadership, which could eventually lead to you becoming premier. How do you make a more a more transparent relationship with the public that uses it?
1: You've got to be very clear about what the mandate is. Of Metrolinx and what success looks like and what failure looks like and then you've got to hold the leadership there accountable and on the building transit side we need to build so much transit in this province and and especially here in the GTA and we've got to make sure that Metrolinx has a clear mandate to proactively engage communities to you know I've seen consultations go sideways I've seen relationships completely break down such that transit isn't getting built in the way that it needs to get built. I've also seen in my community recently a piece of land that Metrolinx owns sold off to a private developer with 0% affordability committed. If that was federal crown land, so when we thought Canada lands up at Downsview, whether it was city-owned land, there would be a minimum percentage commitment of 20%. And so there's got to be a mandate from the provincial government to Metrolinx that is clear-eyed that says, when public lands are being sold off, especially lands close to transit, where density could really add huge affordable value, there's got to be a percentage commitment to affordability. And, and other levels of government do it. This is not complicated. The province has to do the same thing.
0: Nate Erskine-Smith, our guest on Toronto Today. I I haven't had you on to ask you about uh, the Ontario Science Centre moving to um, the proposed Ontario place. Not just moving, but um, they're not being very much um, in terms of a study to see if it, in its current location and the current building, even if you knock it down and build it back up again, why that location doesn't work. Look, there's always going to be... You know things that that don't work anymore. There's a reason the the you know the Leafs don't play in Maple Leaf Gardens anymore. When they renovated Massey Hall, one of the best places in our city to see a concert. If if they'd said, well, look, it's the feasibility doesn't work, the money doesn't work, we, c- we can't have concerts there anymore. I think we'd go, okay, that's going to happen sometime. This doesn't look like that. This looks like it's moved awfully fast with a very expedited process to just knock the thing down and and move it to the waterfront.
1: So fast that the transit station that was planned to be built was called the Science Center Station. And now it's not gonna be called that anymore. And you have a situation really, it comes back to that question of how do we want to use public lands? And how do we get the most value out of public lands? On the Science Center question, before the pandemic, I would take my now six year old there before he was in school, I would take him there every Friday. It's not some old forgotten location. Many, many, many students and young people access that location all of the time. And my core question, look, we can talk about the fact, and there's truth to this, that it is an underserved community to begin with. And now you're taking a, a major facility out of that community, making sure that it's even further underserved. But take a, take a, take a higher level of view here. And my question is, how many young people and students, and I've seen many school buses at mm-hmm. the Science Center over my years. How many young people and students currently access the Science Center on an annual basis? And what are the projecting? What are the projections? What are the estimates of how many students are going to use it at the new at the new facility? And if it's less, then don't do it. Full stop.
0: Yeah, I asked. I asked a school teacher. I said, "Give me the top ten potential field trips in the GTA," and and he gave them to me. This is a like a, a grade seven elementary school teacher, and outside of the zoo and outside of Wonderland. Eight are basically within like a like a 2k radius and they're all downtown and they're all near the water and that's great we should have a, we should want a thriving waterfront that's mixed with with um, industry and mixed with a lot of public land but the science center getting ripped that was an obvious you know top five top three field trip and a place as you said to take kids on the weekend and like what's next the zoo what's next something else like it's you can't have everything within that small space downtown
1: and are we getting as many school buses there on an annual basis? Right. And if the answer is no, then keep it where it is. This has to be the first question has to be what's best for kids, what's best for education, because that's the purpose of the science center.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it is one of those things. I'm sure you're watching a lot of the Ontario Place debate from afar. Um, what do you make of it? The the spawn, et cetera we've talked about before, but it's. I know it's become a bit of a mayoral issue, but at its heart, it, this is about a provincial issue, isn't it?
1: I find it baffling, actually, because we have this winter art stations. We call it winter stations, but they're public art installation projects all along the water, all, all along the water and the beaches here in, in the winter. And it's an open public art competition. There are teams of artists that can, can apply to compete in this and get their project selected from all across the world. And why wouldn't we have done something similar? With Ontario Place, if you want to reimagine Ontario Place, make it an open public competition in this way. And I know there was a consultation. I know they took community feedback that they didn't listen
3: to, mm-hmm.
1: but but I, I think a, a, an open public competition would have made a lot more sense rather than the conversation that we're now seemingly having: is do you support a spa, yes or no? <laughs> <And> yes. Why, <laughs> how have we gotten to that place? Why aren't we talking about other possible reimaginings of, of, of a public of a of, of such an important public space? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's very much uh, that, that's very much how it feels. It's like it's this or nothing. And, and that that's usually not how you privatize. That's not how you put a, a, a open competition up um, to private industry and say, what would serve the community best? What could create jobs? What could create infrastructure? Exactly. What, what could have the most amount of families coming downtown? We didn't get any of that. Nate, I got to leave it there. Thanks so much for the time. Uh, enjoy yeah. Timmons. Thanks, Greg. There's uh, Nate erskine Smith, uh, Beaches, East York MP, uh, Liberal MP. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady,
2: Toronto's news, today's talk, six forty
0: Toronto. You probably saw the story about a week and a half ago that the TDSB, the Toronto District School Board, um, to get into certain specialized programs at secondary schools, this ha- this was the case um, that that you'd have schools that would be better for technology, you'd have schools that would be high schools that would be more geared towards the arts. Um, but the concept was, let's get kids in there, especially at the grade 11, 12 level, and let's have them submit a portfolio, not dissimilar to how you apply to university and, and how you apply to certain programs at those universities. Well, the TDSB decided we need a lottery to do this um, and, and to to sort of level the playing field, give priority to those from, um, you know, from different communities. But they messed up the lottery somehow, and it it led to all this controversy. And then the question is, do we even bother having a lottery, or do we try and find the best kids regardless? Of course you want to paint a bit of a, a, a cosmopolitan picture and you want a little bit of a, a you know, a, a, how would I put it? A tapestry of what you're looking for, but nonetheless, um, the TDSB seems to have failed on all counts. Marcus G uh, is a Toronto columnist for the Globe and Mail. And he wrote a, I thought what it was a very pointed and great op-ed about this and joins us now, Marcus, it's great to have you back on. Thanks for getting up early for us.
5: Oh, well, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. You, you document the testimony as well from um, some of these, these kids and, you know we all remember what it was like to be 14 15 16 want something really badly and not be able to get it that is life but not to be considered to get it seems to be more more the prominent problem with what they're doing here
5: yeah it was really sad i went to this meeting uh parents meeting to protest uh this new lottery system and there was a young woman 14 years old a dancer in her school and uh had taken all sorts of uh, extracurriculars to hone up her resume and get her dance uh, up to speed to take uh, the entrance audition to get into an art school in North York, and uh, and she was thrown into the lottery instead. So no audition, no chance to show off her skills at all. And she was really quite quite heartbreak broken. She uh, broke down in tears in front of this meeting and talked about how she's sort of given up hope and. It was really, uh, you know, uh, an example of kind of crushed hopes of a young person. So. That's not something we wanted to do with our in our school system
0: and her case yeah her case is is hardly unique in in the TDSB is it um you know again you're gonna get to we're going through this now with a grade 11 in our house like you're getting to that point where you're like this is important this is not focus on this ignore that but 14's really early to sort of you know have your <laughs> have your heart taken out and and stomped for no other reason other than you're part of a numbers game.
5: That's right. I mean, uh, the, under under the former system, um, uh, kids would apply, say, to a science school, they'd have to write a test, or if they uh, were going to an art school, they might have to uh, put in a portfolio of their artwork just to show that they had some aptitude and some promise and, and deserved, you know, special training, which is what you get at these schools, kind of a next level training that will prepare you potentially for a you know, brilliant career as a dancer or, or a computer scientist or whatever. And so many students have gone through this program and gone on to, you know, top schools like, say, you know, Juilliard in New York mm-hmm. or something for the arts and, and uh, have launched into brilliant careers. So it's really a great launching pad for promising young kids. And now a lot of them are going to miss a chance
0: what was the tone of of the parents at the meeting cuz i'm sure we all look and say look it does need to be different than when we went to high school if we went to high school in the in the 80s or the early 90s um of course there need to be changes and there's some there's some evolution in in how teaching goes and how education goes but but there must be parents that think we we've gone a step too far we got to pull this back provide equal opportunity but that's a massive difference isn't it equal opportunity and creating equity equity pretty hard to create when it comes to academics.
5: Well, this is what uh, I called uh, you know, equity engineering. Um, what you're doing is you're really um, creating a system where you're trying to engineer the makeup of, of, of the school and um, by removing merit really altogether from the equation. So it doesn't matter if you're particularly promising. In fact, it doesn't matter if you're, I mean, one of the, on the other side, one of the problems with this thing is, yeah, you know, what if you throw your name to the lottery because you've heard, hey, musical theater is really cool. I love, you know, mm-hmm. musical theater, but you really don't have that much talent or aptitude or maybe even sustained interest. It's just something you think is cool. Your parents think might be cool. And then you get in and you really don't don't have much uh, a talent for it. And so you're getting all the special training, exp- expensive special training from the school that another kid might have benefited from more. And so and you don't do very well and maybe you you fail out or whatever and or or they have to water down the whole whole program because you've got a lot of kids coming in who who aren't don't have much aptitude. So even from that point of view it doesn't make much sense.
0: Yeah, like you wouldn't, you know, nobody if you if your school is putting out a production of the Wizard of Oz, you're not going to have a, a lottery to decide who plays Dorothy or the Coward, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna take the best actress. Sports yeah. is that ultimate meritocracy, Marcus. Where, where at some point, um, you know, we got cut from a team or we got told, nah, nah, you're 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 a junior varsity guy. You're not a varsity guy. Like, like there was meritocracy and we all understood it. And they're just. There's just, there has to be. That's that's society when you get out into the world, right? Your your partners are going to judge you for who you are and what you do. Your, your employer is going to judge you for who you are and what you do. And it, it, we're falling short, I think, if we're not teaching 13 to 18-year-olds. There's some meritocracy when you get out. In fact, there's decades of it. Um, so get ready for it
5: and there's there's no uh, there's no lottery to get get onto the you know leaves
0: <laughs> right <laughs> i mean it's uh
5: you work your way up and this is the way life does work i mean if there's an equity issue um and, and this people went into it at this meeting there are other ways new york has a program for instance that goes into underserved communities and has special um summer and Saturday uh, classes for kids who want to prepare for their test or their addition. And so you get special in case, you know, you're not a kid who kind can of can't afford um, private classes or whatever things you need to tune yourself up for that edition. So they have these free classes. Kids can go to them and get ready for the edition. I think that's better. Give give people a, a boost to get in, but don't give them a pass to get in.
0: Do you think there's a, a bit of a move back the other way? I Like, I don't see this as a, I, I know oh, schools and what they teach is so contentious in the United States. And sometimes we look and go, well, it, it, at least we're not there. But I do think parents are getting louder. Even the call last week for getting back to basics, for reading, writing, math. We had teachers call us, Marcus, on the show saying, I, I can't teach a World War II course in grade 10. To kids who can't read yet and it's a problem like you can't advance the curriculum if you're still stuck on those uh, at those hurdles early on and it's it's every there's not a really a sounding of the alarm bell coming out of the pandemic that so much in class time was missed that that we're not focusing on the basics
5: yeah and i think that's that's showing up in 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 elections like the last election we had some trustees got out of the school board who posed this uh lottery system and one of them organized this meeting that i went to in north york last week so there's a political movement coming out from from parents it's just sort of saying enough <clears throat> enough is, up, is enough uh to the tdsb
0: marcus i really enjoyed the call and thanks so much for getting early uh, up early and uh, and happy to amplify it was great stuff my pleasure, Marcus G. Joining us uh, from the Globe and Mail. Look, it, it's there is a there there are things that need to be done to create equal opportunity. That's the concept. That's the concept is make sure that nobody's falling through the cracks. But you can't create, you cannot create equity educationally. You can't, but like you because you can't create equity in the subjects that your kid takes. How would you make your child equal? Equal at all courses he or she takes. Oh, you can't do it exactly. So you can't take thirty kids and give them all equal outcomes. Like that's what equity is. I I I knew what I stunk at. I knew what I wasn't naturally good at, and I knew what I also wanted to put the time in and succeed at. The 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 thing is, when when it comes to education, people that tell kids at past a certain age, hey, you can do anything and be anything. Well, that's. Very idealistic. <laughs> That's encouraging, I suppose. But I, I had parents who were like, "This is what you're good at. This is what you could be great at." Drill down on those things. Ab- absolutely, drill down on those things. Like I'm reading this op-ed over the weekend from um, a uh, language instructor in the TDSB, and he's all fired up. He's a guidance counselor, um, and and a parent. Okay, so I, I can respect that you're a parent, and you get you get a say. Absolutely, you do. But he talks about Here's here's what he writes. Ontario parents heard the rhetoric of getting back to the basics. What matters most, math, reading, and literacy. Pal, that's not rhetoric. That's real. You're talking about rhetoric. You're trying to create fantasy outcomes where everybody's the same at everything. That does not work. Okay? You can make efforts level the playing field make sure nobody falls through the cracks make sure there's opportunities make your student government look a certain way encourage opportunities and volunteerism you can do all that rhetoric of getting back to the basics no man like like there it's not rhetoric it's real you're talking about rhetoric equity is rhetoric that's rhetoric that's a very definition of it. You can hope to create it. Best of luck doing so. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's
2: news. Today's talk.
0: 640 Toronto. Yesterday was obviously a, a day of reflection. Five years removed from certainly one of the most terrible tragedies we've ever seen in our city. One of the most jarring. One of the most shocking. And it was difficult to even know what to do next. Just when you could breathe, when you could talk, when we could sort of gather again. It's it's hard to reflect on a pre-COVID world, but I think we all remember this day absolutely and unequivocally. Um, Eleven lives were lost. Anne-Marie D'Amico uh, was one of those lives lost. I knew a couple of people that knew her very, very well. She'd been a volunteer and worked for uh, Tennis Canada, so that was sort of knowing people who knew her really well and... They weren't the same for months after this terrible thing happened. Here's her brother Nick. Yesterday, with some poignant thoughts on uh, on how much he's missed his sister the last half decade.
1: This brings us back to the day that it happened, and this day specifically, you kind of recount what's going on, what happened at this time. So you're always trying to work through it, and you have just what we still have dips, we still have moments, and we still have days, and we still have times where we're struggling with it.
0: I can't even imagine. Like we can't put ourselves in in those shoes. And again, you're going to face tragedy and adversity in your life, but this was tremendously unexpected and tremendously uh, tragic. Someone who spoke yesterday who knows the community really well, who helped rally the community as well, she's Ward 18 Willowdale City Councilor, and she is Lily Chang. Lily, thank you very much for giving us some of your time this morning. I appreciate it.
2: Good morning, Greg.
0: I, I take you back to five years ago and, and I think I have that right. It just, it it really, for lack of a better term, paralyzed us, I think for days and weeks, we, we had to go on, right? We had to drive people places, we had to work, we had to eat, but it, I, I don't think Toronto was the same for a good many months afterwards.
2: Definitely. I think we lost our innocence that day as a city uh, and as a country because I think m- many people never imagined this could happen in our country. So, I still remember the eerie silence of Young Street, a bustling neighborhood where I often you know walk with my kids on those sidewalks and then to see tarps on the sidewalks to see police tape and to see just the the joy of our neighborhood be stolen from us so and you know the the pain of it is still a scar on many mm-hmm. people's hearts i I heard the other day someone who told me that she only recently started walking on the side of Young Street where the attacks happened. So that sense of security in our neighborhood was stolen, and we have worked together as a community to try to restore that sense of community and safety. And that's why on the evening after the attack, we uh, we started a group called We Love Willowdale, which has taken root and continues to have positive impacts in our neighborhood.
0: What was it inside you and what was it inside some of the other people in that group that said, we're not going to wait a week. We're not going to wait 10 days. We need to sort of, you know, come together and, and reclaim our community now, even though there was no there was no pending threat that you knew of or that there was to speak of. You said, we need to do this now and not wait.
2: I think each of us had a huge amount of shock Uh, fear anger how could this happen and we knew that everyone was reeling after this event so that was the intention just to say everyone is going through this let's go through it together and see if we can just nurture and care for our community in these next few days and weeks after such a terrible happening on our street
0: I always think there's more in the news cycle and we think wow we're we're really divided and this splits us apart and you know we could come up with different ideas for this could be politics could be everything that that happened during the pandemic while uh, you know, I think this restriction should happen. Well, okay, well, I disagree. But even last night, I, I saw the video footage of um, this interfaith vigil at in Mel Lastman Square, and it really does reaffirm to me, I believe this in my heart anyway, we are just way, way, way more together and similar than we are different and apart.
2: Definitely, I think tragedy often brings out the best in us. So after the tragedy, you could see on the streets, usually we live in this urban setting where everyone's looking at their phone and we kind of ignore each other in public spaces. Mm-hmm. But in the weeks that followed, everyone was very aware of the people around them. I saw people checking in with strangers every day at the memorial sites that we had you know, set up ad hoc. And you could just see that everyone had this heightened sense of what was most important and and at the end of the day the people you live nearby those are your neighbors and and what kind of life can we live if we actually care about our neighbors every day so that was i think what shifted and i think that ripple has continued even now
0: Lily Chang is our guest Toronto City Councillor for Willowdale Ward 18 my recollection also Lily is in the in the days afterwards we talked about well, what should that street be? Should there be, you know, barriers? Should there be? It's really difficult to change. Like it, it's a big city, and cars are always going to be going, you know, one way and the other way, and the sidewalks are going to be right beside it. There's, I, it, it is wrenching to say. There's little way to prevent a tragedy l- like what happened, but unless you're willing to put a bunch of barricades up, I, I, there wasn't really anything erected in, in on that street or in that area that, that changes the makeup of it, is there?
2: No, and I, I've had a lot of people say that to me. Why can't we erect more bollards or, mm. uh, you know, trees? And I think, yes, if we could plant more trees along roadsides, it would be safer and more beautiful. But the truth is we can't do that across the whole city. No. And so to me, you know, the bigger issue is how do we foster a kinder community and one where those who are falling through the cracks have a place to land.
0: And this got you, um, you ran for city council in, in the fall and, and got elected. Did this moment even make you say, you know, there's something I can I can give back? It is, It is really difficult, as you would well know, to get really good people to leave a good circumstance and say, I'll serve the public. You're giving up your anonymity. Um, you're 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 then ripe for criticism of this, that, the other thing. W- w- did did this at at one point propel you into politics? Do you think
2: it it actually did? And and it was you know five years ago we had a vigil at Mel Lastman Square, and I remember just being very inspired by seeing our community come together and working together to care for each other. And I thought to myself. What if we could do this in the realm of politics? What if politics was about bringing people together to make change collectively in society? So it was a turning point for me, and uh, it is something I carry and hope to do moving forward in my new role to bring people together to make change in the city.
0: Lily, thanks for your reflections on this, and, and I'd say in retrospect for your leadership on this five years ago. I know it means a lot to people in your community, and and I've heard that more than a few times. Thank you so much for spending time today talking about it, and we'll, we'll have you back and, and talk about uh, something that's a little less emotional, but just as important. I appreciate the time.
2: Thanks, Greg. Have a great day. You
0: bet. Lily Chang joining us uh, from uh, Willowdale and Ward 18.